Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today, uh, we're going to be in part three of our series, Stuck in the Middle. And today's uh, subtitle, if you're taking notes, is Follow the Cloud. We're going to look at the story of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, as God delivers Israel out of slavery, 430 years of slavery in Egypt, and brings them, uh, is preparing to bring them into the promised land. And over the last couple of Sundays, we've looked at uh, this idea of being stuck in the middle, that it's the place where you may have a lot of activity, but not a lot of progress. Uh, you may be doing a lot, but not having, uh, you may be, you know, spiritually, emotionally, relationally standing still. And so sometimes activity is not a sign of progress. Uh, It's actually a substitute for it. Uh, And so when we look at this, you know, many people uh, find themselves, in fact, I think most people find themselves somewhere in the middle between where a prayer has been prayed and yet to see the promise, or they've received a promise from God, but uh, they have yet to see it fully take place. They're believing for a miracle. They're praying for a lost loved one. They're believing for transformation in their family, their marriage, their community, whatever it is. Uh, as the church, we're praying for revival in North Iowa and, and in the United States and around the world. But I, I just want to tell you that place that's in the middle, the, when you're stuck in the middle, it's not necessarily a bad place to be, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks is where God does his deepest work. And so maybe you're a place where you just feel like uh, life is passing you by, but when you have Jesus in your boat, when you have God with you, he's the one that helps you in, your, in, in, in the middle to grow, to be transformed, to be changed. Uh, Israel experiences this as the wilderness season. And so they're brought out of Egypt, out of centuries of slavery. God, by his power, sets them free in a, in, in a series of, of judgments against the nation of Egypt that had held them in slavery. And he set them free. And as they're released by Pharaoh, the Egyptian army has had to release they, uh, the Israelites after four centuries. That's longer than the United States has been a nation. So just think about this. For generations, all the Israelites have known is slavery. For generations, all they've known is a story of a promised land, but now they're about to step into that. Now, of course, anybody who knows their story, uh, because of their own uh, disobedience, because of some of the choices they made, they stayed much longer than they should have. But I want us to look at, as they leave Egypt, they come to a boundary. They come to what seems like an impassable uh, obstacle, and that's the Red Sea. God leads them out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, and we're about to experience, they're about to experience the greatest miracle of Israel's history up to this point. And let's look at this. In Exodus 14, verse 5, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, it says that it was told to the king of Egypt that the people of Israel had fled. And so the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the Israelites, against the people. And the Egyptians said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains every over every one of them. He's pursuing them. And I, I want to speak to something before we get into the heart of the message because I, I feel like sometimes we experience freedom in an area and we, we wonder why there's still a battle later on. We experience an answer, a breakthrough, whatever you want to call it. We, we see progress in an area of our life, but yet, somewhere along the line, it seems like we've gone back. 
It seems like any progress we've made has been, uh, has been surrendered. It looks like the, the, the forward progress has been given up and we've gone backwards and we're dealing with the same issue we dealt with that it seemed like or we know that God had set us free from. And I just want to speak to this because sometimes we get discouraged and we don't know that Pharaoh is still trying to take you back. The enemy doesn't like that Jesus freed you, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get you trapped in the old fear, the old shame, the old regret, the old uh, anxieties, the old worries, the old bondage to sin. He, He will do whatever it takes to get you ineffective in your calling and purpose from God. And I don't think there's ever a time, now I'll just say this, it's not like your whole life is spiritual warfare by any means, but there's never a time where we can recognize, see, even the, 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 the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness, and after Jesus overcame him, one after another, he overcame through the word of God. We overcome through the word of God. He, he said things like, it is written, and he declared the word, and, and the enemy was silenced, but it says that The devil left for an opportune time. See, sometimes our our greatest point of vulnerability is not when we feel strong, it's when we feel weak. It's not when the worship team's singing and we feel the presence of God. It's when, when we don't hear it and we, we don't feel God. When, we, when it's Monday morning, Sunday's behind us, and we, we feel like God's a million miles away. Well, he's not. That's the first thing. He hasn't changed. He hasn't left. Uh, his presence isn't just about a feeling. His presence is sure and steadfast. Sometimes we, we, we view God through the lens of our own disappointment with people because people have left, hurt, said things. And so we look at God the same way, like he's looking for an excuse to turn his back on us. That's, that's not what he does. Jesus on the cross bore our sin and the father turned his back on his own son so that he'd never have to turn his back on you. And I want you to see this because he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Verse eight, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So, so there's these two contrasting things. On one hand, Israel has no idea what's coming after them. So they're going out with boldness. You know, anybody can start out bold when you feel it. We can start out full of faith when we're feeling it. But it's in the moment where we realize there's actually a conflict over the promise of God. There's actually a wrestling in prayer that I talked to you about last week. There's a place where the rubber meets the road, and we have to trust God when we're out of all other options. And that's where Israel is about to be. Israel has come, the Hebrews have come to the Red Sea, and they've camped there. They've gone out bold, they're confident, they've seen God display his power, but somewhere along the way, it won't be long before they forget that God is still able and God is still good, and God's promise is still true, and his, promise hasn't, his presence hasn't left them. And so here they find themselves, verse 9, so the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them, camping by the sea. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and they said, uh-oh, that's, that's my, okay. Uh, Behold, the, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were very afraid. So they were bold two verses before, now they're afraid. What's changed? The presence of their enemy. The presence of a problem they didn't expect. They thought the battle was over. They thought they wouldn't have to overcome that. They thought they wouldn't have to fight through that old issue anymore. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I didn't think I'd have to deal with this temptation anymore. I'd have to overcome that fear anymore. But let me just tell you, the difference is for Israel, they had boldness because of who God is and what he had done. Somewhere along the way, they forgot. 
and they became more confident. See, fear and faith, let me just speak to those for a moment. Fear and faith operate by the same principle. I hear it and I believe it. If I hear God's word and believe his word, I'll have boldness and faith. But if I hear and become more confident in the ability of the problem to overcome me than I am in God to preserve me, then I'll have fear. And a lot of people are overcome by fear because, not because, you know, we we look at what's going on in the world, and it's not to say there's not a lot of issues, believe me. But I I, want to speak to some stuff, first of all, because Israel has this pattern in, in Egypt. So let's go back a little bit. When they are experiencing the 10 plagues of Egypt in uh, God's judgments against, and each one of them corresponded to one of the gods that the Egyptians worshiped. They worshiped the sun god, and so God blocks out the sun. He makes a darkness all throughout the land. They worship the Nile River. God turns it to blood. They, they, they worship all of these things, but God shows by his power that he's alive, and these images, these idols are not. But in every one of these, God's displaying his power against Egypt. But, but what's so interesting is, is part way through the plagues, God does something very special, and I want you to see this real quick. Um, let's look at, jump down in the notes, guys, for the for media team. Verse Chapter 8, verse 22, Exodus eight twenty-two. And that day, God said, I'm going to set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. So this is before he set them free. But I want you to see something. God makes a difference so that no swarm of flies will be there. There were flies on the, on the Egyptian cattle, on the Egyptian lands. And God made a distinction, made a difference where his people were. And so his people didn't experience what other people experienced. Verse 23, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. Chapter 9, verse 4, if you can put that on the screen. The Lord will make a difference between not only the people, but their stuff. The livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to Israel. Uh, verse, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 23, they didn't see one another. So God blots out the sun, makes it dark. And so the Egyptians can't see one another because of the darkness. It says they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. What, what, what all three of these situations have in common? God's people experienced something different. How did God make that distinction? Well, God's presence is what makes the difference. That's point number one if you're taking notes. God's presence makes the difference. And this is so important. And this was important for Israel to know at the boundary of the Red Sea. God's presence still made the difference. Moses would recognize this later on and as he would take Israel into the promise, as he was preparing to take them into the promised land, God says, I'm going to be with you. My presence will go before you, and I'm going to do all that I've, I've called you to. And Moses says in Exodus 33, he says, God, if you don't go with us, don't take us from here. Why? Because Moses knew the presence of God was what made the difference. And I believe in this time especially, and it's true of any time, I, I think we need God as much on our good days as our tough days. <laughs> Are you with me? But it's in these moments where we have reduced options. We sometimes have to find out God's all we ever needed. And here's the thing. God, his presence is real, and his presence is what makes the difference. Israel's at the Red Sea, and at their back is the Egyptians. And something happens that's really special. I named this, the subtitle of this message, Follow the Cloud, because God's presence showed up in a very unique and special way for Israel. If I can teach on this for a moment, God in the beginning walked with Adam. 
He walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Because of Adam's sin, there was now a separation between man and God. Adam had to leave the garden. Death brought separation. Sin brought separation. And so from that moment forward, God wanted restored relationship. And he begins to, with Israel and coming out of Egypt, reintroduce his people to his presence. And he starts with a cloud. He starts by sending a cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night. And as the Egyptians come up on the camp of the Israelites and they think, this is going to be easy, we're going to just take them back. See, sometimes the devil thinks he's won. He thinks he's got you cornered. But he doesn't know it's really a setup. Well, why, why doesn't God just make it so there's no battles, no fights, everything's easy? Well, here, here's the thing. Those of you who are, you know, we've got lots of people that work out much more consistently than I do. Working on that. Um, you know that to get stronger, there has to be resistance. To get strength, Israel had been slaves for 400 years. God wanted to make them more than conquerors. And so, so there was a process of becoming reacquainted with the presence of God. They were used to the Egyptians. They were used to bondage. Sometimes we get so used to dysfunction, we find that more comfortable than freedom. We get so used to dysfunction where we accept that instead of taking the uncomfortable step of stepping into change. And so they find themselves, the Israelites go, uh-oh, <laughs> the Egyptians are here to take us back. And the Egyptians are about to, to take them captive. But between the enemy and God's people, God positioned a cloud, his presence. Pillar of cloud by day to keep them cool from the heat of the sun. Fire by night to keep away the serpents and, and dangers of the desert. But here's the point. It says this. I, I want you to go to verse, I think it's in verse 19 or 20. I want you to catch this. He says this in chapter 14, verse 19, the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. I, I shared this last week, this verse. So God's presence was before them and behind them. What, what's God doing? He's surrounding his people. He's making a difference. Well, well, well pastor, what's going to happen if this happens in the economy and this happens in the world? Well, here's what I know. My God is still the same God of the Bible. He's still the God when it's dark in Egypt, he makes it light in Goshen. He's still the God that makes a distinction. What would happen if in the middle of turmoil, you still had peace? You still had joy? Not only that, but you were still being blessed, and everybody around you goes, how is that happening? That, that doesn't make sense in the times we live for this to be happening in your life. Well, well, let me tell you about the God I serve. When you're going through something difficult, and you come out on the other side victorious because your God was faithful to be your healer, your comforter, your provider, your protection. And they say, how did you make it through that? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what God's presence did in my life. And the, the thing that just happened in Switzerland, this is what made me think of them today and, and reconnect is, is I, I saw them post testimony just, I think it was just yesterday. They were out sharing the gospel on the streets in Switzerland and one of the pastors that was out there got knocked to the ground by a man carrying a knife. Knocked him to the ground and this man was prepared to stab him 
and he froze. Couldn't do it. Just froze. Unable to attack this man that he, he knocked him to the ground, prepared to, to, it was actually a pastor, knocked him to the ground and prepared to stab him to death, to kill him right there on the spot. And God protected him. The man left, froze right up and then left. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you need. I don't know what enemy's trying to take you back, steal your mind, steal your heart, steal your family, take away your faith. But God has positioned himself between you and the devil that's trying to kill you. So it came between the presence of God, verse 20, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. The presence of God makes the difference, church. The presence of God makes the difference. Psalm 110, verse 2, the Lord shall send out the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies, God. See, we like to, I mean, this is just human nature. This is how I am, at least. I think for God to reign, like he's got to remove the presence of the enemy. But here's what God likes to do. He likes to rule in the midst. We know the, the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and we know as, as David's writing this, he's recalling the faithfulness of God and taking him and leading him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. But I think my favorite part of that verse isn't just that. It's not just going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's that at the end of it, it says, he shall prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, well, I just don't feel very victorious right now, pastor. I don't feel very overcoming right now. Well, it's not the end yet. (laughs) You're just in the middle. And when God's got, when you're in the middle with God, The Bible says he always leads us in triumph in Christ. And so his presence makes the difference no matter what the circumstance is. We've got to stop letting, as the people of God, the circumstance define our response instead of his presence. I want to be more conscious of God than I am of the problem. Not that we ignore the problem, but sometimes we're so problem conscious, devil conscious, darkness conscious, that we miss God in the middle. Isaiah 60, Brian, are we in in the last days? Well, I know this. I know we're in our last days. It's it's your last days. What are you going to do with them? (laughs) And I believe we're closer, of course, to the coming of Jesus. But here's what, here's, here's a message for the end time church right here. It's not a message to run and hide. It's a message to arise and shine. Isaiah 60, verse 1, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I've been in church long enough that a lot of people have written off places like Haiti and Europe. A lot of people have written off what God could do in in lots of places of the world. And right in the middle of it, God's showing up through his people, through his church. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. That's the bad news. And it's deep darkness, the people. Oh, but here's here's the important part. The Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen over you. Come on, church, it's not time for you to throw in the towel. It's not time for you to quit. I had about 10 years ago, I was preaching a couple services at the church we pastored in Arizona. And in between the two services, I was preaching a message about this passage. And the Lord showed me a picture. My grandfather, on my mom's side, grew up on Alcatraz Island. Uh, No, my last name is not Capone. Alcatraz Island, they housed on the island. It was a federal penitentiary. 
and it housed on the island along with the prisoners. They had apartments for the families of the guards. And so my grandfather was, his father was a, a guard at Alcatraz. And so during one of the riots that happened, they took all of the kids that, grew up, that lived on the island and they took them down to this old Civil War bunker that was kind of a shelter, like a bomb shelter. And they huddled all the kids down there and they had them down there to wait out the riot that was taking place on the island. And so somebody took a picture of that. And years ago, my, my grandfather had written about his experience and had a picture of, of him and several other children hiding in a dark bunker, uh, uh, scared and terrified about what's happening outside. And, and while I'm praying for that second service, God reminds me of that picture. And so that's my people right now. They're hiding from darkness. They're called to impact. They're scared. They're afraid. And that was, gosh, 10 years ago. But I, I know this. God wants to make a difference. His presence makes the difference. Point number two, God's presence makes the way. Let's go back to Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you're going to see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I love this. Moses preaches to his people. He preaches to the Israelites and he says, guys, you've got to remember God's fighting for you. God's going to crush this enemy. And I just want to pray for you today that that thing that's tried to take you back, the thing that's tried to discourage you, to make you hopeless again, make you afraid again, that God's going to crush that under his feet. But I want you to catch this because Moses gets one thing wrong. He says, stand still. And God has to come to Moses and correct it a little bit. Just read this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Verse 15, the Lord said to, to Moses, why are you crying to me? I wonder how many times we're wanting God to move and he's wanting us to move. It's quiet in this church this morning. Did I get the right place? Did I show up to River City Church? He says, why do you, what an interesting response from the Lord. Why are you crying to me? <laughs> Wasn't that what I'm supposed to do? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Everything Moses said was true except for one thing. Stand still. You're not staying stuck in the middle, church. You're not meant to stay. God, I told you this last week. God didn't bring you this far to leave you where he found you. God, God could not deliver them on the wrong side of the Red Sea because they would go back. Or they'd settle in the wrong place. And sometimes God has to get us moving to free us. God has to get us going in the right direction. It's in the act of trusting what he said and moving in the direction of his voice and following the cloud of his presence and responding to him, letting his word guide us, letting his spirit guide us, letting the, the, the word of God be what we believe instead of what we see in, our, in the world around us. When we let that be what directs us, the result is he can crush the enemy. Why do you cry to me? Tell them to go forward, but you lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel will go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gained honor for myself over Pharaoh. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Verse 21, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and he made the sea into dry land. The waters were divided, but God made a way. God made a way, and I don't know what feels like there's no way out. There's no way forward. There's no way for things to change. That's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy to tell you that things can't be different. Believe his promise. Believe what God has said. That's why we've got to know his word, church. We've got to know what his word says. We've got to, we've got to believe it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by his word. As we get his word in our lives, we'll have more confidence in his presence to lead us than in the devil to take us back. God's presence, God's presence makes the difference. God's presence makes the way. Third and final point, I want to spend some time on this before we go. Just keep following the cloud. Just keep following the cloud. See, God wanted to reacquaint Israel with his presence. And what did that look like? God's presence was there to protect them. And, and, and as Israel passed through the, the Red Sea, I mean, at least if you don't know the story, you've probably watched Charlton Heston's version. <laughs> and, and, and the Egyptians tried to pursue them behind the Israelites, and God brought the Red Sea crashing down on the Egyptian army. And in one day, the most powerful nation in the world was crushed. And God brought the Israelites out into the desert, but there was a big, now what? Now what, God? What do we do now? You, you, you saved us from Egypt, what now? And I think there's a lot of Christians that live like that. You've saved me from my sin, you've given me a home in heaven, what now? I'm in the middle. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I think that's where we have to learn that we have a purpose right here in life. God has a calling for you. The church is not the waiting room for heaven. Okay, I'm gonna say that again because I don't think everybody got that. The church is not the waiting room for heaven because he didn't just set you free. He wants to set others free. And, and here's what happens. He brings them into the wilderness and the first thing they run into is they're thirsty. Um, hey, we don't have any water, Moses. There's no high V here in the wilderness. There's no, there's no grocery store. What do we do? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? It was actually, we were better off there. At least we had water. Did you bring us here to die? And, and, and they have to be reminded that God's a provider. God provides water. They get hungry a couple days later. They're realizing they've got no food. We didn't bring enough. We didn't pack enough Lunchables. God, what happened? You brought us out here to die again and again. The story of Israel in the middle, in the wilderness, is God, what now? And every single time, God led them. By day, they had a pillar of cloud. By night, a pillar of fire. And every day, God provided food. Every day, God provided water. What's the, what's the point? His presence is everything you and I need. His presence makes the difference. His presence makes a way. The key is keep following the cloud. Because I want you to catch this real quick. Numbers chapter 9 tells us uh, a brief description of this season of Israel's history as God's getting them reacquainted with his presence. And they're learning something that a lot of us are still learning, myself included, is dependence upon God. Verse 16, so it was, the cloud covered them by day, the tabernacle where they worship God. 
in the, in the camp of Israel, the cloud covered it by day, the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud was taken up above this tabernacle, this tent where they would worship, after that, the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud would settle, that's when the children of Israel would pitch their tent. So for 40 years, they're wandering through the desert and they know where to camp because they would pitch their tents wherever God's presence through the cloud would dwell. And at the command of the, the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above this tabernacle for a few days. He's, he's reiterating the same information, but here's the point. Watch what it says, verse 22. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained, the children of Israel would remain and camped. It would not journey, but when it would be taken up, they would journey. See, what's happening? They'd wake up every day, get out of their tents, and they'd look. Oh, the cloud's moved. And because the presence of God, this cloud would move, it was indication that it was time to pick up their tents, pack up, and relocate the camp. You know what, what wasn't described in that verse was, was it convenient? Was it easy? Sometimes it would be a couple days. We just got here. Like we, we just got to this place. And God, would, God the cloud would move. And, and here's what God's doing. He's teaching Israel dependence on his presence. Because that looks like relationship. God was not looking to just give them the Ten Commandments and walk away. God wasn't just looking to give them rules and walk away. He wanted them to have a relationship with him. He wanted them to know him, be led by him. Now, what does this look like in the New Testament? We find that we don't have a cloud we're following. We have a Jesus who walked up to a disciple named Matthew and said, follow me. We have a Jesus who walked up to Peter and John and said, follow me. And they left their nets and they followed the cloud. They followed the person because Jesus wasn't just creating, he wasn't coming to create a religion. He was looking for relationship. God wanted to reacquaint people with his presence and it looked like them following Jesus. It looked like them following Jesus. One last story. Matthew chapter 14. One day Jesus gets his disciples and he sends them across a boat. In a boat, across a body of water. <laughs> you got to catch this. Uh, Matthew 14, 22, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent a multitude away. And when he sent them away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now where? In the middle. It was in the middle. Jesus said, hey guys, get in the boat. I'm going to meet you on the other side. I I'm sure they thought to themselves, um, how's Jesus going to meet us? We're taking the boat. I don't know how God's going to do it. I just know he's going to do what he said he'll do. I don't know how God's going to change your family. I just know he'll do what he said he'll do. I don't know how God would restore your, your freedom and, and restore your relationships and, and how he's going to do the miracle that only he can. But I know when he says it, he'll do it. And he says, guys, I'm going to meet you on the other side. But while they're in the middle, they run into something. They run into a storm. 
It was tossed by the waves. Their boat was tossed by the waves and the wind was contrary. <laughs> you know, it, it was one thing when you had your devotional in the morning and you read that verse and the Holy Spirit took that verse and made it come alive and you felt the promise of God and you said, I can, we got this, God. But then in the middle, things got contrary. In the middle, things looked a little hazy. I, I don't think it's an accident God said follow the cloud because the clouds aren't always clearly easy to define. <laughs> and sometimes that's what it feels like, trusting, believing, pursuing. But while you're in the middle and the wind's contrary and the boat's rocking and you don't know what to do and it looks difficult and you're turning on the news and things are crazy, they look, verse 25 on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea. They said, it's a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus said, be of good cheer. It's I. Don't be afraid. Same thing Moses told Israel. Don't be afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter had come down out of the boat. Jason, if you and the team want to get ready. Uh, he, he said, come to him. And when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Peter was afraid. And he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? I love this story. I love this story because of what it tells us about the presence of Jesus in our lives what it tells us about God's presence when we're in the middle. Sometimes we, we, we begin to move a certain direction following God, trusting the promise, doing what God's called us to do. And along the way, things get difficult or things get hard or we feel like we're being pursued. And maybe that's where you're at today. I just want to encourage you. What matters isn't the presence of the enemy behind you. What matters isn't the darkness around you, the wind and the waves. It's the presence of God right there next to you. Jesus met them. And Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come. So Peter gets out of the boat. I love Peter. Like, what kind of crazy faith do you got to have to think, this is my test to know if it's God. I'm going to walk on water too. <laughs> and Jesus says, come. And in that command was the grace to see it happen. Some of us right now in the middle, the thing we need to get back to is what did God say? What's his promise? What's his word? We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.